Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company, or someone in your network that you know may want to reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at mission.org and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. After a frustrating experience at the gym, pouring out his entire duffel bag in search of missing headphones, Caleb Alfers, the co-founder and CEO of Haven Athletic, was determined to give the gym bag a much-needed upgrade. With his co-founders, Caleb designed, manufactured, launched, and pre-sold Haven Athletic's organized gym bags. Tune in to hear how Caleb and his team overcame adversity and didn't take no for an answer, even when it was the so-called experts telling him it just wasn't possible. Enjoy the episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends? or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness. Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Caleb, welcome to the show. Steph, it's great to be here. I'm super excited because I want to first dive into your history. I want to go way back to like who Caleb was as a kid. Before we get into okay. these companies you started and being a CEO and all these amaz- amazing things, I want to actually understand like who you are. So tell me a bit about where you came from and you know, where you grew up. Yeah, for sure. Really interesting. I, well, or maybe not interesting. I grew up in a, in a town of 1200 people in small town, Nebraska called Stromsburg. And it's actually the Swede capital of Nebraska, which my um, grandmother would be very proud to know that I'm letting people know that. (laughs) Represent. Yeah, represent. And uh, interestingly enough, I was homeschooled for most of my entire life, which most of my friends are pretty surprised by. And often say that I've adjusted well. I'm like, thank you. Yes, I have. I put a lot of work into adjusting. All the way to high school, you were homeschooled. Throughout high school too, yeah. Okay. And then you went to college, I'm guessing. What was that like? Yeah, it was it was great. Um, it was something I kind of craved the entire time was like the peer interaction and having an actual teacher. Like there's all sorts of ways to do homeschooling, but around our parts and the way we grew up, it was a lot more um, kind of casual and like self-led and you know, figure it out yourself. Yeah. Did you have siblings as well? 
that you could at least hang out with. Yeah, that I could hang out with. So my only friends were my siblings. <laughs> and, and my I mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Just wondering, I'm trying to like get in this headspace and understand homeschool life. I mean, it sounds kind of nice in some ways. <laughs> yeah, kind of nice in some ways. Uh, we still had a lot of structure. That was some that was a nice thing that my parents said. It was like, hey, like you can't just sleep in and mess around all day. Like you need to actually like get up and eat breakfast and get dressed. Um, which was a real surprising thing, but that's like how I grew up with. And so by the time I got to college, I would meet people who would like go to class in sweatpants, which was always confusing for me. I was like, no, like when you, you get up, you, you put on jeans, you like, look like a person, like you don't look like a slob, like sweatpants are looking like a slob. The whole thing. We need more of you, Caleb, in this world. I mean, honestly, like this is the mentality we need to start telling more people. I'll be that guy. I'll be the jeans guy. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) Jeans and a button up. Come on. That's what my mom said. Yeah. So you went to college. What were you exploring there? Like, what was your degree in? Yeah, I started out thinking that I was going to go pre-med. And so I did um, actually did three years of pre-med before I realized that it wasn't the right thing for me. And I think I had a little bit of I'm not sure if it was like fear of failure, but it was kind of like I'd already, you know, I would put in a year and I was like, well, let's just keep going, even though this is tough. And I put in two years like, oh, I failed a class. I'm like, this is hard. Like, but I'm here now. I've put two years in, so I got to keep going. And then three years in was like, okay, no, this like isn't working. Something needs to change because if this is the way it's going, there's no way that I'll make it in med school. And so three years in, um, I transferred over to business school. I finished that out in a couple of years, loved it, had a lot of fun. It was way easier, um, hundred percent for anyone who's like, it's hard. It's (laughs) business school. It's not hard. Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah, but it was, it was way better. I did end up graduating with 60 credits of electives, which were all of my science classes. (laughs) Overachiever. They're like, wow, this guy's going places. (laughs) They're like, why did this business guy take a year of chemistry and uh, senior level calculus and a year of physics and a year of biology? My gosh. Okay. So after you get out of college, I mean, you don't have to go through every stop that you made, but maybe what were some of the most monumental ones that you look back on today? And you're like, that was a really helpful stop in my career. Yeah. um, Switching to business was, was great. It was at the time where Facebook was really just starting to get popular. So I joined Facebook back when it was college only, and then went through the transition where they were like, Hey, we're going to let non-college people in, which we all felt weird about. We're like, no, it's a college thing. It's cool. You're going to make it not cool. That was about the point where businesses were interested. And so like Gary Vaynerchuk was super early on the scene being like, you should use Facebook for business. And I was like, that makes sense. I'm getting a marketing degree. Like let's do that. And I was the only person in my class who thought that to a point where the professor who was the head of the marketing department would kind of single me out around anything related to future and new business practices. Like, Hey, Caleb, like, what do you think about this? Or eventually there was a group of businesses that were looking for insights and whatnot from the school. And one of them was looking for someone to run social media. And I was the email connection that he made. It was like, Hey, like none of my other students are really paying attention, but Caleb is really interested in Facebook for some reason. It's like, talk to him. And that ended up becoming like one of my first real internships where I helped this company set up their social media. Oh, awesome. Okay. That was a, that was a big, like kind of start into that whole world. And then because of like Gary Vaynerchuk and social media, and that kind of led me down the world of like startups and entrepreneurship, which got me connected with this group in Nebraska called Silicon Prairie News, which was just trying to highlight Midwest stories around startups. Cause back then that was 2011 Back then it was, which it still is mostly hype all around like the coasts. There's a lot more definitely outside of it now, but back then it was really just New York and Silicon Valley. And so there was a guy there, 
Jeff Slobotsky, who was trying to tell stories about in the Midwest, like, hey, we got people starting technology companies here and doing interesting things here. I want to write about it. And then they started an event called Big Omaha, which ended up being really cool. And they got a bunch of people and speaks a lot to community. They got a bunch of people to believe in what they were building and doing in the Midwest. And so they got um, speakers for free to come in and speak. So like Tony Shea from Zappos, rest in peace. Ev Williams from Twitter and um, Steve Case from AOL and like all these really big names and people from all around Silicon Valley and all these really cool companies came into big Omaha to speak on entrepreneurship and innovation. And so that was my first real gig outside of college was um, helping source speakers and then eventually running that for about four or five years. Wow. I mean, getting to be able to be around all those people and hear their talks and coordinating. I mean, what was that like? Did that really expand your mindset after being able to be around like that caliber of type of person? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. Um, So many stories and so many interesting people and they were all so kind. And there was a couple of things that we did that I think really made the event shine, which most people show up kind of expecting to give like a really specific talk on like, you know, the four ways to blank or whatever. And as the speaker manager, I would talk to them and they would ask like, what do you want me to speak on? And we're like, yeah, just like come tell a story. They were like kind of confused. Like, what do you, what do you mean? And we're like, yeah, you know, we just want to hear like how you did it. Like, tell us about you. Tell us about what you're doing and why and what was hard or what was interesting or, or, you know, tell us cool things. Like just like inspire the audience, like get people riled up to to start their own thing or to believe that something is possible or to make a change. And we ended up getting some really, really cool stories outside of that. And then we would coordinate dinners. And so I got to spend a lot of time hanging out with all the speakers. And that's cool. Yeah, it was a pretty incredible gig. Okay. So then you started getting an itch to move on to the next thing or where were the next places that you jumped to? Yeah. After big Omaha, handful of jobs here and there, marketing, there was some, <laughs> there was some interesting transitions where um, turns out to make money in a news company is really difficult, an online publication. Mm-hmm. And uh, the event did pretty well, but the news didn't do quite so well. And so we ended up kind of shutting down for a little bit and then sold to a nonprofit in town. And so made the transfer over there and then ran it there for a little bit and then stepped out of that and worked with a local startup called Flywheel that was doing WordPress hosting for designers. Uh, they eventually had an exit. Um, I got to be a very small part of that for a little bit of time. Um, a lot of friends that were involved there building a really cool product and jumped into starting to work on Haven at that point. Um, but it wasn't quite ready. Like we were still really early working on the idea. And then a couple months later, had the opportunity to work with some people on another product called Physician Focused, which was initially going to be kind of like a software product to help connect physicians to software and tools and other things at like sort of a discount, but that wasn't really working. And so kind of what it turned into was essentially a personal assistant services specifically for doctors. And we were focused on doctors because the partners I was working with, that's where they uh, operated in. So there were some financial advisors and a lawyer and they're like, look, we have this roster of physicians all across the United States and they're always looking for help and we're helping them with these things. And we just, we think there's an opportunity to like build out some sort of platform to help them on a larger scale. Okay. And so that's where that came in. So you were starting Haven or had the idea for Haven around 2017 and then the physician company was there. And so you kind of paused anything on Haven just to move over to them or what was that like? What was happening with Haven? Yeah, we kept going, but early on there's three co-founders and none of us have a background in e-commerce or manufacturing. And so 
it was all a lot of Googling and figuring out how to do things. And I often say like, you know, we were just kind of naive, like with the power of the internet and, and lean startup, you can build anything, which is a great mindset to have, but geez, is it not necessarily true? Gary Vee said, I can yeah. do it, so yeah. I can do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you got, you had the concept, you were starting it, but then you kind of just kind of kept it slowly in the background while you were making money in other ways. Yes. Okay. For anyone who doesn't know, what is Haven? So they know where we're about to go with this. What is Haven? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Haven Athletic is organized gym bags. Mm-hmm. Okay. And where did this idea come from? This idea came from me and my brother, my older brother, Jacob. Uh, I was in the gym. Well, we had talked about kind of frustration with gym bags. We had a kind of this classic Nike duffel, uh, two pouches on the side, big empty hole in the middle. It's that thing that we all grew up with, like taking to gym class or even on like weekend trips with your family. And I was taking it to the gym and we kind of talked a little bit about how it's not really a great bag for the gym. And then one day I was digging around for my stuff and I couldn't find my headphones and I emptied the bag out, literally turned it upside down in the gym, shaking it, trying to find my headphones and eventually pulled out this like bottom plastic piece where they were hidden under there. And I was like, okay, that's it. This is dumb. There has to be something better. That was, that was the moment. Yep. Okay. Got it. So you had the idea, you started Googling, you went to the physician one, how long until you came back and you were like, we need to do Haven. We just kind of kept pushing things forward for the next couple of years, there was, because we didn't know what we were doing, there was so many, you know, like, Hey, let's, let's figure out how to do this. It's not really like if we had all the time in the world, we could just knock this out. It's, we don't know what to do. So let's figure out what to do and figuring out what to do is going to take us weeks or months. A great example is 2019. I think we, uh, spent most of the year figuring out how to manufacture a product like, how do you get in touch with a factory? How do you find a factory who will work with you? How do you find a factory? Uh, and then what what do you send them? You know, all of these questions were just like, I don't know. We have this like rough sketch of an idea we want to make. We don't know how to make it, if it can be made and how we get in touch with a factory and then what we need to give them, basically. Mm-hmm. Did you tap in and tap into anyone for help or were you all literally just trying to Google and figure it out yourself? Yeah, we tapped into so many people. In I was in Omaha, Nebraska at the time. I think your name might have been Pam. So Pam had produced bags for like Nike and Adidas and and whatnot. And, you know, as you tell people about this idea that you have and you're working on it, trying to figure it out, especially with the community that I had built coming from this conference, I was asking anyone and everyone like, hey, do you know how to manufacture a product? We're trying to make this bag. Like, who should I talk to? And so I reached out to anyone and everyone I could. A few people had mentioned this person. And so we we met with her and her answer was basically like, oh, it's going to take you at least like $50,000 to like set up all the the systems and to get a factory to actually convince to work it. And you're going to have to buy at least 10,000 units. And at this point we've spent Come like bag, no lady. money. Yeah. Out right. They're just ruining hopes and dreams of the younger Killing generation. Them. Like just <laughs> oof, wind out of our by. sales. Yes. <laughs> and so that was wildly frustrating to hear, but I was just like, no way it's 2019. Like there, there has to be a better way to do this than like, not every company is starting with, hundred thousand dollars as a as a risky investment like at this point we had no idea if anyone wanted it if people liked it and so it was just like no there's got to be a better way so we went back to the drawing board and just kept digging and, and searching and trying to figure out how to do it okay so was there anyone who was more helpful where they gave you a tip or some kind of insight or an introduction where you were like that literally changed the course of our company trajectory because of that person's idea or tip or whatever it may be introduction 
Yes, the critical changing point for us, we, June of 2019, went to a show in Denver called Outdoor Retailer. And it's the, I think it's like the world's largest outdoor show. So it's all of the Mountain Hardware and North Face and all those big companies. Um, and then a bunch of like fabric companies and then a bunch of startup companies. It's like four, four floors high. And then on the bottom floor, there was uh, factories. And so I had seen some friends who were going. And so I started looking into it. I'm like, this looks cool. I don't know. And then I saw that there was factories. And I was like, maybe if we go there, we can talk to a factory. We can, we can show them our designs and they'll be like, hey, we can make that for you. And so we signed up as designers so we wouldn't have to pay a ticket. And we went just being like, hopefully we figure this out. And talked to a couple factories uh, who thought they would be able to produce it. Turns out neither of them could. But the critical point was we talked to Peak Design. Peak Design makes um, camera bags and they make a lot of camera bags. Like mm -hmm. they sell like $80 million a year of camera bags and they're really high quality. Yeah, we had them on our show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I love them. They're like the most successful Kickstarter company ever. They've sold like 30 million on Kickstarter. They have an awesome team of like 35 people. They work like 30 hour weeks in the summer. Like I'm kind of an, I'm like a fanboy for sure. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, they're great. So yeah, yeah. you're allowed to be. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. And I mean, they've, they've been so successful that the founder, Peter, started this company called Climate Neutral to help e-commerce companies reduce um, their impact on the environment and have like a net zero impact. And so I was like, okay, that's awesome. I had emailed them a few times talking about Kickstarter and just asking them questions and they'd been really kind. And so I met with them at an uh, outdoor retailer and we talked to them and then we talked to Climate Neutral. We joined Climate Neutral. We we're like, that's awesome. We believe in this. We want to start with this from the beginning before we even have a product. Like we want that to be a part of our story. And then at some point we had reached back out to them and been like, hey, like, do you have a connection into a factory? We're trying to get this made and we just, we've really been struggling. And they introduced us to their, basically their middleman or middle person. And that person has a group that manufactures over in Vietnam. And that's kind of how we got connected and everything started. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a good pivotal moment. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's the difference around, I think the world of like e-commerce and D2C. It's like, you can tell people are much more likely to help each other in this world and give introductions. And it's, it feels a little less competitive than, you know, other industries, I would think. Yeah. That's a good moment right there. Yeah. I think a lot about the hard work luck comparison that I don't know how you say that, but it's like essentially like create your own luck, but like keep working hard and luck kind of presents itself. And the thing is, we just didn't stop. Like we didn't stop when we couldn't find anything on Alibaba. Uh, we didn't stop when people sent us some samples that were all made out of Velcro and weren't anything near what we thought we could make. And we didn't stop when half the factories we reached out to were like, no way, we're not going to make this. That's stupid. And we didn't stop when Pam, the bag lady was like, you need at least 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. We just kept trying. We're like, no, we're, we're determined to figure this out. And then eventually the next thing we tried, it eventually worked. Yeah. So t I want to hear a bit about maybe some of the more, what was going on in your life as you were trying to launch Haven? I know we were talking about before we start recording resistance, like capital R resistance coming in yeah. hot and trying to like throw things off course. So tell me a bit like what was going on before fully launching Haven. Yeah, a few things were happening uh, in my own personal life. 2019 was a particularly rough year. I was um, coming out of a marriage, be a classic Nebraska boy. Uh, I got married real young, so around like 23, and I was married for about eight years. And 
the beginning of 2019 was when that ended. And so just a big transition for that year in the middle of trying to figure out Haven and then still working at that time and on physician focused and trying to make that work with a small team and then going through a divorce at that point, um, which all in all, compared to a lot of friends of mine, wasn't that bad. Like it was fairly amicable. We didn't have children. We didn't own a house. She was in pharmacy school. I had just come out of school before that. And so we'd kind of been living this like college kid marriage type of scenario. So it wasn't, that's why partly it wasn't, you know, the hardest thing to sort through some of like, there was no like legal battle, for instance, but you know, the emotional toll of going through that, like I remember um, a lot of days where I would go to work and then I would come home and then I would have a call with like one person like, okay, tonight I need to update my brother on the story and what's happening. And like, Hey, you know, there's been some changes and then it would be seven 30 and I would be like, I am so emotionally wiped. Like I'm going to bed. Like I have no space for anything. I don't want to see a friend. I don't want to go have a beer. I'm just going to go to bed and sleep for 12 hours. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. I definitely resonate with all of that because I also have been divorced and was, you know, running Mission. And at times it was like so hard to focus because there's so many things going on. But then at other times I was like, it's nice I had something to focus on, like just build this company, grow it, do the thing you have to. And yeah. like it, it was a weird, yeah, like both sides are maybe not, the most enjoyable at times, but also kind of helpful because it made you really focus and be like, okay, I just want to get out of this mindset right now. Let me shift over to work. And yeah, I mean, how did you kind of navigate that with your co-founders and, you know, making it all work at the same time, making sure they understood like what not only you were going through, but then also that you were committed to building this company and to the position one, like so many things were going on for you. Yeah. Uh, first off, welcome to the Better Life Club. Um, that's <laughs> what uh, I oddly had several other friends going through it at the same time. And so we kind of dubbed it the Better Life Club because uh, it's just freaking hard. You know, every day when you're going through it, it's hard. Like there was moments where I even like wrote on my hand uh, one day to remind myself, like, just take it one day at a time. Because if I think about anything more than that, it's so overwhelming and so just like this heavy weight that it's almost unbearable. And so this group of friends and, and I adopted the better life club because we're like, Hey, as we're going through this, as, as we're realizing how hard this actually is to, to break this off, to take all of those years and the emotions and everything that comes with it. And some of them had even more, and some of them had some kids. And as we were all kind of working through it, we're like, you know, we're doing it though, because we believe, and we have to believe that 
we weren't happy. And that is a consistent thing that we felt to make this choice. And we believe that there's something better. And we're going to hang on to that every day when it's super hard, when you just want to give up, when you're done with it all. And you're like, maybe I should have stayed. But instead, like holding on to the idea that there's something better. Yeah, that support system. I mean, crucial when you're going through honestly anything. I mean, whether it's divorce, yeah. whether it's building a business, having co-founders, like just having a support system around you who can remind you of things like that when you can't remind yourself is like, yeah, just crucial in almost everything in life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my co-founders, one of them is my older brother and one of them is one of my really good friends. And so really um, understanding of what I was going through, knew a lot of the details of of what was going, what I was going through more than, you know, a lot of other friends because I was so close to them. So they had a lot of grace and that's something that we've kind of built into the company throughout and something that we've grown with is, is grace for each other. My older brother has four kids. He has a full on family and our other co-founder has had some of his own like personal life stuff going on, uh, moving to New York right as the pandemic started and then basically being alone in a city for a year. Yeah. When he was kind of expecting like it to be you know, this, the best thing ever, like you're moving to New York, like let's go. And then just kind of feeling the weight of that. And so we've, we've definitely built in this idea of giving each other a lot of grace for those moments. Like we're in a startup, so we still need to work hard, but there's a lot of limitations to that. And so we're kind of bucking some of those, I think, older and outdated stagnant traditions of like work hard at all costs and burn yourself out. Yep. Yeah. Gotta have that longevity and have, yeah, long-term thinking around not only yourself, but also your employees, your co-founders, like anyone you're working with. It's like, mm, I'm pretty sure if this person has to take off a week or two, it's okay like, yeah. in the long term. If our company cannot survive because someone's out of office for two weeks, like something might just be wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. That's how I think about it. Yeah. Okay. So with Haven, you get past all these naysayers and all the people telling you like, you just can't do this. And you find that one you know, good person who can finally help you with manufacturing and all of that. What does it look like to actually get this company some brand awareness? Like, how are you even, is it out to the market yet? Is it on a Kickstarter? Like, how are you launching this? Yeah. So we're coming up on the end of 2019 at that point, thinking that we need to test the market. And so me coming from the startup world and and doing marketing and like, like I said, the lean startup. And then um, our other co-founder, Nick, is a product designer, um, technical product designer, and so our background is customer development. And so that's where we kind of led this whole thing. Like initially it was, we have the frustration, we have this idea. And then once we had a sketch and once we started getting even some rough samples in, we started asking people, what do you think about this? And even actually backing up, even before that, um, a, a funny part of the story is like we ripped up an old Nike bag, put cardboard in it and a grocery sack and duct taped it. Uh, with this idea. And I literally took that to the gym for three months to see it, see like, Hey, does this fix it? And then to also ask all my friends, like, Hey, we're working on this idea. Like, this is kind of what we're thinking. What do you think? Like, do you like your gym bag? If you don't like what, what would you change about it? So trying to source all that information to make a, a very customer centric product. And so we had gone through all of that over the last year or so. And by the time we were ready to sell it, we had finally gotten a really good sample working with this new company that connected us to the factory, the next step was, will people pay for it? Because we recognize that this is really difficult to make. We're using premium materials. We want it to be a super high quality product. Uh, and so, you know, at minimum, we've got to charge 150, but we think ultimately we need to charge a lot more. But we're like, let's let's do our own pre-sale and let's like price test if people will pay. 
$150 for a gym bag. And so we launched it February of 2020. Just on our own website, we looked at doing a Kickstarter and we're like, man, this seems like a big lift. It's not just a sketch an idea on a napkin anymore. It's you need to have a full fledged campaign. You need to have videos and photos. And we're like, we're bootstrapping this still. Like we've still only spent like maybe 300 bucks on on the company so far getting one sample made. And so we're like, let's just launch it on our website and we'll really explain like, hey, this is a pre-sale. If you buy this, it won't be delivered for a while, (laughs) but we'll keep you updated on what happens started selling it. I ran some Facebook ads and I think the first Facebook ad I ran, I put like $100 behind it cuz again, we were bootstrapped and I was like, man, $100. That's a lot of money to spend on a Facebook ad. Note, it's not. The fact that you got customers from that impressive. <laughs> yeah, well, 2020 was the golden age of Facebook, so we were getting like a a 7x ROAS on that. So, yeah, we got a few people to buy it. We shut it down and uh, I was like, all right, that's cool. Like it seems successful. I was like, but, you know, maybe maybe we should do something a little bit more. And so I called a buddy, um, Nikhil from Back to the Roots. They grow uh, like mushrooms in a box and now they do a bunch more than that. But he was a speaker at Big Omaha. And I was like, hey, here's what we're doing. Like, it's kind of cool. We got a little traction. Like, what do you think we should do? He's like, well, you said you spent like 100 bucks on Facebook, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, what if you spent like 500 bucks on Facebook? And I was like, huh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Good Why don't point. we just try that? Very yeah. strategic. <laughs> and so then um, this was entering March of 2020 where the pandemic was happening and like stay at home orders. And we're like, huh, that's weird. Well, let's just keep going because that's kind of been our mantra this whole time is like, just just keep trying. Just keep going until we can't go. And so we launched the second portion of the pre-sale in March and we spent $500 on Facebook. Oof, real scary at this point. Um, but again, it did really well that even like during stay at home orders, like we got like a five X ROAS on that and we're like, okay, this is great. So ultimately we sold like, I don't know, 60 bags. And we're like, that feels like some decent validation. Let's get the factory to make like a hundred. That'll give us some extras. That'll get our feet wet, uh, figure out how to manufacture a product, how long it's going to take. What are all the details involved in that? Which is just learning an entirely new industry. And it's not like tech, right? Like building a tech product, which I've been involved in several, it for the most part feels like you can Google it and you can find the answer pretty quick and you can find a lot of answers and you can find some PDFs on how to do it. And you can, (laughs) you can figure it out. Um, Manufacturing is not that way at all. Uh, At least it wasn't when we were doing it a few years ago, where trying to find information on like, Hey, like when you talk to this person, what do you need to know? Like, it's just such an entrenched antiquated industry with all sorts of nuance that we're still learning today, but we got it manufactured. And uh, later that year, September of 2020, we were able to deliver those first products and people were ecstatic. Wow. Okay. So were you doing anything else while you were delivering the products? Were you running more ads or like what was maybe phase two? You're like, we have the product, we have our 65 customers. Like what were you guys maybe preparing for next or what were you doing? Yeah, I think the thought was to run another pre-sale, but we wanted to finalize that first round of manufacturing. And that ended up taking from March all the way to September. And so we didn't really do a ton during that time because a lot of it was hurry up and wait, you know, send an email, talk to someone, wait a couple of weeks, send uh, some clarification on something, wait a couple more weeks. Someone asks you to send money, it feels uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> what were they asking yeah. for money for? I mean, was it with the manufacturer or someone different where they're like, send it to this Ethereum wallet and... Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no crypto wallets. Um, <laughs> no, just the manufacturer. But um, however much that was at the time, maybe like $5,000 or something uh, to get that first run made. But so we were thinking about what is next. So we started thinking that we had gotten some responses about a smaller version of the bag because um, the main bag is pretty large. And so whipped up some designs and then we're like, all right, let's let's run a sample of this. Got a sample of it. We loved it. And we're like, OK, let's gear up for the next thing, which is another pre-sale. Let's just run it back. But let's try to push it this time. So for 2021, um, about the same timing, around like February, March, we decided to run our second pre-sale. Mm hmm. How many customers did you get that time? And how much money did you spend? So uh, I think month one, I spent $500, maybe give or take. And then month two, I spent $2,500 because I was like, guys, this is working. Like we're getting 5X ROAS, like let's go. And then month three, I spent five. And by June, I was spending 15 grand and it was working really well. And so we just kept pre-sailing. We were like, well, we could stop it. But that sounds bad because making money is really cool. So let's just keep going and we'll just like, we'll figure it out, which is a messy way to do it. But we're here and it's it's worked sort of for the most part. Yeah. And are you still now fast forward to today? Are you still in this like pre-sale model? Or are you just fully live? Anyone can buy it now. Like, what does it look like today? Yeah, still in the pre-sale model because in 2020, we had only gotten, you know, 40 extra units. And we're like, let's use these for like press or influencers. And so 2021, we didn't have product. And that's one of the biggest barriers to entry for e-commerce manufacturing right now is you have to have the money up front, which is the whole reason of doing the pre-sale um, is to get the money to pay for the product. Otherwise, we would have had to buy the product up front. And our timeline is about four months um, from order to delivery. It was difficult. And we're like, man, we think there's something here. We think we could really push on this, but we don't have the cash to do it. So we kind of have to keep doing a pre-sale. Mm -hmm. Got it, man. I feel like so many opportunities if you had this cash up front. We need to figure this out today, Kayla. We need yeah. to <laughs> get this engine working here. Yeah. Okay, so you're still in the pre-sale model. How are you? I mean, Facebook is a very different world than you know where it used to be. Although I did hear and I was reading that recently has gotten a bit better. Not that it's ever what it was, but like, what are you doing today to get, yeah. you know, your customers and find new people and get them signed up for the presale? Yeah, we're still doing a lot of Facebook ads. Um, actually, we've kind of centered them more onto Instagram right now, segmented them there right now, but also doing some SEO, um, writing content, pushing out some native posts on social media and working on a few other things. We have now some Google ads going. But looking at what we can do outside of that is kind of where we're at now um, at this exact moment. So affiliate model is something that we're looking into because we have both a bunch of people um, and influencers that want to work with us that would like to push it out. And then we also have a bunch of gyms that see the opportunity here to sell to their members. And so that's what I've been working on the last couple of weeks and talking to other people in this world on how they structure their affiliate or ambassador or athlete programs and all the things that go into that um, and who does what and what they get. And so we have a pretty clear idea on how to do it. Now we just got to kind of put it together, have the page being developed, and then hopefully we'll launch that here in the next uh, two to four weeks is, 
sooner the better but uh, there's just yeah there's so much stuff going on right now as well um we're sponsoring the crossfit games that's another big thing we're doing outside of facebook ads um that comes up the first of august for a week so whole team will be there with some other people we'll have this big booth and kind of gearing up for that as well wow okay so lots of things going on if you were to relaunch today knowing what you know are there any maybe like specific pieces where you're like, I would have done this different or I would have moved quicker here or maybe not done this at all? Like if you were in this, you know, the environment we are today. Yeah, it's tough because I think if there was any way to get a hold of some capital to make the purchase of the product beforehand and then do like a drop model of some sort, that would be a significantly better way than a presale or just switching it over to a Kickstarter style. Um, instead of doing it on our website, uh, it's kind of become like a little bit of a logistical and a communications nightmare because we're trying to, one of the actually really hard parts about it right now is we're trying to communicate and be really transparent with our customers. But when you do that in this world, timelines change constantly. And so it's cool. It's cool to be transparent with your Super customers. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And then after a while, you're like, huh. Maybe we shouldn't be so transparent. <laughs> that was too much. <laughs> the delivery date, just especially in, in logistics, is just, it's mind boggling. Like even thinking about it right now, like it's confusing to me how garbage it is. Like the first container was supposed to leave May 14th. It actually left May 28th. It was supposed to arrive here July 5th. And then it was supposed to arrive July 7th. It actually arrived July 8th. And then it was supposed to get on a train the next day, like the ninth, and then it actually got on a train the 13th, which is a long time away. And this whole time we're like, hey, the bag's showing up July 5th. And we're like, just kidding. It's going to show up uh, around like the eighth, but then there'll be a couple extra days. Not a big deal. And we're like, oh, surprise. Now it's leaving on a train the 13th. Uh, it should be in the warehouse though by what is today, the 19th? 20th. Uh, it should have been in the warehouse yesterday. Um, note, I said should have been, it wasn't, it didn't arrive. And so this morning, right before this call, I was calling everyone like, hey, I don't know, where's this container? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, that's an interesting balance of like, how transparent should you be with your customers? Because what do they really care about? And yeah. So I put a post out yesterday about that um, because we're still, and even this morning, I found out there's like another delay. And so I'm going to have to talk to people again and, and let them know like, hey, it's a couple more days out. And I think I like the idea of being transparent. I think if it was in a Kickstarter where it was a little bit more expected and you had a little bit more regular communication, we could have communicated a little bit better along the way as well. But I like the idea of being that transparent as long as people are bought in. And, you know, on this presale, we have about a thousand people waiting and there's like five that are pissed. But those five just weigh so heavily, you know, when you're the founder and you're in the company and you're getting messages from them saying things like, I'm going to charge back my credit card. And I think you guys are a sham and this is all BS. And I mean, like, not like, not like F you, they're not like verbally abusive to me, but like the situation they're just yeah. so livid about and trying to be really empathetic and trying to be really kind and trying to explain everything we can. And there's one guy, he's like, I want 25 bucks back. And I'm like, look, that's our margin. I'm not going to give it to you, but you can cancel if you want. Like, it's not going to hurt me at all. If you cancel, I totally understand this sucks. It sucks for us too. Like you have to wait on one. I'm waiting on a thousand. And so I just have kept doing that. And that guy actually kind of turned around a little bit, but now I need to let him know it's going to be delayed again. I'm a little concerned oh. about that. Oh, if you're missing tomorrow, I'll 
put out a newspaper ad yeah. looking for you. Yeah. So yeah, if I could go back, uh, some form of a drop model, some way to like find the money to get even the smallest order in, um, and in a really ideal world, find an influencer to partner with, give them a portion of your company, like make sure that they'll actually work on it and they want to do it. But like having someone with a voice and with, with a platform is drastic. Like there's this company called, uh, Judy, um, and they do emergency preparedness kits. And the guy who started that, he's like best friends with the Kardashians and a bunch of other celebrities. And I mean, the company was like set up to succeed from the beginning. He worked with the best people in direct to consumer and, um, had all these people spreading the word as soon as he launched. And I mean, they've just, it's a, it's a great product. It's a wonderful brand. I like what they're doing. This is nothing negative, but that definitely is a, is a really positive way to launch a company is if you have that platform. Yep. Yep. All right. So I want to hear lastly, what are you most excited about over the coming year? It can be, you know, with your company or it can be just with you or life or whatever, but yeah, what are you most excited about? So I actually just got back from Vietnam, uh, talking to our factories, working through some designs, which was a whole wild thing and really interesting. Basically it takes several months to work through product development and sending things back and forth. And it's kind of slow, but if you go there in person, they'll accelerate the hell out of it. And we wrapped up two prototypes within a week while I was there. It's mm, a good insider tip right there. Get in person, look them in the Just eyes. Go there, look them in the yeah. eyes. Be like, make me a product. Yeah, do it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but so we just got, or I just got back Safe. with it. And so this is the backpack. Oh, that looks nice. Wow. So it's the same idea of the of the duffel. It's an organized bag and that's that's our thing. And that's what people are really resonating with. I get emails every day from people saying, I've looked for a bag for like this forever. You know, organization means a lot to me. Like I hate digging around for my stuff. I hate like being frustrated. Some people are like, I feel anxious with how messy my gym bag is, which is why we keep going even through some of these harder moments. Um, because we feel that resonating with our audience and with these customers. And we're focused more on CrossFit right now, but we're hearing all these other athletes and all these other sports, even like the NFL players that we didn't reach out to. They just saw an ad and organically reached out to us. Mm. Wow. When that happened a couple of years ago and and they love the bag. And then we've got people in boxing and MMA and um, strong, strong man and power, power lifting and Olympic lifting and um, even some traditional sports that are just like, where has this been? And I think that's part of the idea that we've thinking through is the gym bag hasn't changed since like the 80s. And athletes have like today's athlete is wildly different than the athlete back then. We do use a lot of gear. We like gear. Um, some of us do it because it's fun and to nerd out on and to buy more gear and to like get into your sport. And a lot of people do it, especially at the higher level, because it actually su supports you. It helps you. The knee sleeves, the wrist straps, the Theragun or the Hyper Ice, the Normatec compression boots, you know, all these tools. And uh, if you just throw them all in a bag and they're a mess and you're looking for that one tool and you can't find it, and you're not sure if you took it out and you left it at home or not. It creates this frustrating moment. And that's the problem that our bag solves. Yep. Oh, I love that. Okay. What you just did, you should market that to moms as a mom. <laughs> I'm like, I totally would use that for my kids. I'm always yeah. like, where's this? Where's that? Where's the snack area? It's all jumbled together. Even in the mom backpacks, they all are garbage. So just saying you have a good opportunity there with moms, <laughs> they would buy that thing instantly. <laughs> yeah, no, we've gotten a handful of messages about that. And I think that's 
that's really like the the tenure vision behind this. Like when we tell people like, oh, we're making gym bags and some people are like kind of side eye like gym bags. OK. And I'm like, yeah, but we sold 400,000 of them. OK, get off my back. Yeah. Like, yeah, really? We, we're doing pretty well. OK, <laughs> yeah, we're doing OK. Um, but like the big opportunity is is Marie Kondo in the container store. You know, we're taking that and we're putting it in a bag and we can travel with it and we can go to the gym with it and we can use it for whatever. And so that's the opportunity to build out our pipeline. So sure, we're focused on athletes right now. Um, and that's just a, a small piece of the pie as we establish ourselves, as we create this category of organized bags. Wow. Okay. Well, so many exciting things. Uh, this yeah. is an awesome chat, Caleb. Thank you for coming on the show and telling us all about your journey and what you're up to at Haven. Um, until next time, when you come on in a year and give us all the updates, where can our listeners learn more about you and Haven? Yeah, you can find me on most social media slash Caleb Ulf, U-L-F. Uh, and then you can find Haven Athletic uh, on most social media as well, slash Haven Athletic. Or if you Google anything related to the organized bag, I believe we are the first result on Google. So thanks, Caleb. Yeah, thanks, Stephanie. listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.